Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Bert and I have been uh, walking with the mothers of Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, Tamar. And last week, Pastor Bert uh, looked at Rahab. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of Ruth. And so to that end, I invite you to turn in your scriptures to Ruth. But you can also follow it uh, on the screen. Because um, I'm going to uh, jump through uh, the book. Uh, I could take 20 minutes and read the whole thing, but that would really cut into the rest of the service. So I'm opting not to do that. I hope that you saw the uh, request that you would have taken 20 minutes of your time uh, to really read through the whole book at, at your leisure. If you haven't done that in preparation for this morning, let me encourage you to do that uh, in response. So reading from the book of Ruth, jumping through pieces of it, and you'll see it uh, on the screen, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab, and then skipping. Then Naomi said to his, her two daughters-in-law, "'Go back, each of you, to your mother's home,' May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates me and you. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entering a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. 
Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley and had gathered it and it amounted to about an ephah, which is about 30 pounds. She gathered it back to town, she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth had brought Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the harvest and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. 
When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth a Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead and his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today you are witnesses. So Boaz took Ruth... She became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinabab. Abinabab, the father of Hashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Salmon, of Solomon, whose name or whose mother had been Uriah's wife. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that was a lot of reading. My mouth is dry. I want to ask you a question, a serious question. By nature, are you more forward-looking or backward-looking? By nature. You tend to look ahead and prepare, or do you tend to look back and remember the good old days? I often ponder that. If the good old days were so good, why are we working so hard to change them? But by nature, which way are you wired up, so to speak? If by na- I am true to myself in asking that question, I have to tell you that by nature, I am a, a lover of history. I look back, and I ponder where I came from, and I ponder who, I, who, who, who has influenced me and who has shaped me to be the person I am today. But by calling, I am a disciple of Jesus, And Jesus has a two-word instruction that governs my life. He says, follow me. If 
follow me. That means that I have to overcome what would be my more natural orientation and I have to move towards what is his challenge in my life. And his challenge, of course, is that we should be, and I should be, and if you are a disciple of Jesus, that you should be an implementer of his kingdom. I have come, he said, to bring good news to the poor, to tell prisoners that they are prisoners no more, to tell blind people that they can see, and to set the downtrodden free, and so go tell everyone the news that the kingdom of God has come and is coming. We are introduced this morning to a person named Ruth. She belongs to a family, the head of whom is now Naomi, and Naomi is a person of emptiness, a person of bitterness, a person of hopelessness. She looks to the past and she has said, the Lord has dealt harshly with me. But in stark contrast, we find the person of Ruth who comes and makes a profession of faith. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your home will be my home. Where you die, I will die. So how did she get here? Well, Naomi was married to a person named Elimelech. And Elimelech existed in the time of the judges. Now, you need to go back with me a little bit to my comfort zone, to the history. Uh, the person of Moses has been called by God. And Moses comes to Pharaoh and has said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And over a period of some time with, with wonderful, well, not so wonderful, they're often harsh plagues, plagues set uh, Pharaoh in the mindset that says, I, I will let the people go, and through the Passover blood, and we'll remember that with communion this morning, through the Passover blood, uh, finally, eventually, the people of Israel were let go, and Moses leads them for a period of 40 years through the wilderness. It wasn't intended to be that long, but the people of Israel were disobedient. Professor John Steck told us that for 40 years, Israel pushed sand between their toes. They just walked and walked until they all died. And then their survivors, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, came to the east side of the Jordan River, and then Joshua was appointed to be the new leader in place of Moses, who goes on the mountain and dies. And then Joshua says, is told, be strong and courageous, and the people of Israel follow him and the Ark of the Covenant, which has caused the waters of the Jordan to stand up. They follow him through the Jordan, dry ground, and they come to the city of Jericho. And there they find the person you heard about last week, namely Rahab. And her condo does not collapse because there was this red ribbon that says, Passover! Passover. And now she is, it is said, is the mother of Boaz. Oops. That's a problem. Because Joshua... And Jesse, the father of David, 
are about 400 years apart in history. But the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Right? The Bible says that Rahab is the mother of Boaz. But she's not. At least she's not the birth mother. She did not carry him in her womb. Although she is part of his ancestral line, there's about 400 years in between. Read the book of Judges. You'll find a reference from Jephthah that there's about 300 years of history that has passed by the time he's the judge. Read in the Acts of the Apostles and you'll find that Paul makes a reference to about 450 years between the time that Jacob has come to the land of Egypt and the time that uh, Moses leads them out of Egypt into the promised, or to the promised land. There are clear references in Scripture about this time span. So what's happened here? Well, there's been a telescoping. A, a, a sort of bringing together of this whole ancestral line so that... Matthew can say, well, yes, Rahab was the mother of Boaz, but extended. Why does he do that? Because he wants to make the point, and he does that in this genealogy, that David is the king. The king that is the man after God's own heart. But David, and we'll discover that next week with the story of Bathsheba, is not without his struggles and problems either. So there's an anticipated son of David. And Matthew says, and his name is Jesus. So in the time when the judges ruled, in the time when people, and this is said twice in the book of Judges, when people or, or did evil in the sight of God, that's said many times, but twice in the book of Judges it says, there was no king in Israel. And every man, every person did what was right in his own eyes. It was just chaos and bloodshed and rape and plunder and famine. And Elimelech lives with his family in Bethlehem. Any idea what the name of Bethlehem means? House of bread. And there ain't no bread. And so he leaves. He leaves with Naomi, who means, whose name means pleasant one, and with Malon, whose name means sickly, and Killian, whose name means wasting or pining away. Almost no surprise that they die. They're, they're weak. And they come to Moab, and they live there for about ten years, and Elimelech dies, we're not told how or why, and Malon and Killian die, we're not told how or why. But we're told the result. Vulnerability. There are now three widows. Three women who in the rule of the day were not allowed to own or maintain property. Later on you'll see that Boaz says that Naomi is going to sell her property. She really doesn't have any choice. They're not allowed to own property or hold paying jobs. 
they are totally dependent on their husbands and on their sons. But there are no husbands and there are no sons. What are they going to do? Finally, Naomi says, I'm going to go home. I'm going back. I'm going to my people. Perhaps there will be something there for me. And so she departs, and Orpha and, and Ruth go with her. But along the way, Naomi comes to this realization, I don't have much to offer these girls, so I'm going to tell them to go home, to go back to their mothers and to their fathers. They have more opportunity to, to find resources there. And she finally persuades Orpha with this, this speech that says, you know, even if I have sex tonight with a, a man who is now my husband, will you wait until my son, if I have a son, turns 15, 16, 17, 19, 20? Will you wait that long? And anybody would think, not likely. Not likely. So Orpha goes home. And Ruth says no. And it says in Scripture she clings to her mother. But she does more than that. And this, I think, is the heart of this particular story. She makes a profession of faith. Notice that five times she determines the direction of her life. She's not going to be backward looking, looking at the emptiness that, that Naomi will say, well, give me a new name. It's, it's Mara. It's bitterness because the Almighty has dealt severely with me. Naomi's, oh, Ruth is not going to look back. Ruth looks forward. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. She makes a vow, a profession of faith, a declaration of direction in her life. And Naomi is accepting of it. Naomi is accepting of it. But she does, Ruth does more than just simply talk. She actually walks the talk. She takes seriously what she professes to believe. And so you'll notice at the end of chapter 1, there is a reference to what's happening. That's, it's like a, a play in four acts. Chapter 1, you're introduced to these people and they come back to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. Chapter 2, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go and glean. Let me go and act out the role of impoverished, vulnerable people. And so she starts to glean. And then she is met by Boaz. And Boaz has heard a very positive report about Ruth. She is hard working. She is sacrificial. She gives of her time. She takes only short breaks. She doesn't take advantage. She just simply does what the opportunity affords her. And Boaz goes and has a conversation with her. 
And it is stunning to her that she will. She has this conversation with him because she is, and very conscious of it, she is a foreigner. But he says, I've heard. I have heard. And then she, he explains all that he has heard. And then he exalts her because it says in chapter 2, these powerful words, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. And notice this line, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings. She has made this profession of faith. She says, my God is the God of Israel and under his wings I will find refuge. You remember the weeping of Jesus at the time of uh, the, the Palm Sunday entry? He weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. You would not. Well, Ruth would. And she finds refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And she, she is stunned by his response because, well, she is a Moabite. Well, what difference does that make? Well, if you read, if you go back in history, if you look to the past, you will know that there are the reasons for animosity and the looking down your nose at the people of Moab by the people of Israel. Moab arose out of an incestuous relationship between the nephew of Abraham, Lot, and Lot's daughter. Sodom and Gomorrah had been destroyed. Lot's wife had died. Lot and his daughters find refuge in a cave. His daughters, and you can read about all of this in Genesis 19, his daughters get him drunk and they each get impregnated by him. One is the mother of the nation of Moab and the other is the mother of the nation of Ammon, the Ammonites. Incestuous, immoral activity and conduct look down the nose at. Then, during the Exodus... The people of Israel come to the land of Moab and they very politely ask for safe passage. And the Moabites say, no, forget it. You're not going to have safe passage. And so Israel's forced to go around. But not only that, and here one of the more interesting stories of the Old Testament, the king of Moab named Balak sends an envoy out to a prophet named Balaam who is, has a strong reputation and says, and come and curse Israel for me. And Balaam agrees to come. But he says, I will only say what God allows me to say. And every time he want, Balak wants him to curse, Balaam brings out a blessing. But Balaam doesn't end there. He goes sort of in the background and then he suggests to the Moabites that their women be encouraged to seduce the men of Israel. And that's exactly what happens. And you can read in Revelations chapter 2 about how Balaam is a cause for a major plague to hit the people of Israel and many people die. 
There is such anger on the part of God toward the people of Moab that he prohibits their entrance into the tabernacle precincts for ten generations. So have to think what that means. For generations 30 to 40 years, that's 300 to 400 years of prohibition. You cannot come into the precincts of the tabernacle. And Boaz treats Ruth, though Moabitess, with the greatest of respect because of her profession of faith, which, whose authenticity is proven by her actions. And so at the end of the day, Ruth comes home to Naomi and shows her what she has gathered. And in the parlance of today, Naomi is gobsmacked. She had thought maybe enough for a loaf of bread. But there are 30 pounds of grain here that can be ground. There will be much bread in Bethlehem. And then, and then Ruth says to Naomi, um, uh, yeah, I, I met this guy. Yeah, his name is Boaz. And suddenly the emptiness begins to fall, fill up in Naomi. And she says, oh, he is a guardian of our family. He is a kinsman redeemer. And then notice how chapter 2 ends. Ruth stays in the house of Naomi. And then chapter 3 opens up. There's these very interesting words. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. The Hebrew says, I must find a place for you to rest. I must find a home for you. And all of a sudden, Naomi begins to strategize. She obviously knows something about the provisions of God. God has said, land is important for the people of Israel. I want my people to maintain ownership of their land if they are forced to sell it by economic downturns. In the year of Jubilee, they get it back. Or if they can't get it back then, they can get it back earlier when a kinsman, redeemer, a guardian of the family will show up and buy it back for them. There have to be three qualifications for a kinsman redeemer. Number one, he needs or she needs to be related by blood. They need to be part of the family. Number two, they have to have the resources to carry out the deed. And number three, they have to be willing to do it. They have to be willing to be sacrificial. And so Naomi, knowing all of this, says to Ruth, uh, take a bath, take off your widow's clothes, put on your best clothes, put on a little bit of perfume, get ready for a date, because I am going to send you to the threshing floor, and there you are to peel back the blanket that lies over Boaz when he's sleeping and lie at his feet. You could read about God doing that with the people of uh, Israel in the prophecy of Ezekiel, right? 
And so Ruth says, well, whatever you tell me, I will do. Whatever you tell me, I will do. Again, this, the sense of obedient response to the confession, profession of faith that she has made. And so she does it. In the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up. He's a little startled. What are you doing here? And then we need to read between the lines here. But what Ruth does is she proposes marriage. Stop to think about that for a minute. She proposes marriage. This vulnerable widow, nobody, proposes marriage. Because she has the right to do it under Liverite law. And Boaz says, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And celebrates her for not, he must have been a little older, not going after the young guys. And, and then says, um, take this home to your mother-in-law. And so she pours out six measures of barley. So all of a sudden, this empty house of, of Naomi is starting to fill up pretty good. The emptiness is turning to fullness. And Ruth goes back and reports to Naomi. And Naomi says, just settle down now. Just wait because he's not going to let anything stand in his way. And the next day, Boaz goes to the city gate. He meets, he, he might have been the second cousin of, of Elimelech and his family, and he meets the first cousin. And there, in the presence of ten witnesses at the city gate, uh, they transact a deal. He says to the first cousin, um, you're, you're the first in line, you can buy the land. Oh, yeah, yeah I'll gladly take the land. Oh, yeah, but, and then he plays his ace. He says, but now you've got to marry Naomi or, or Ruth as well. Oh, can't do that. That may split my inheritance. Can't do that. You take her. And so they exchange sandal. That's a seal of the exchange witnessed by the people in the gate. And then the story quickly evolves. They get married. They have a child. And then the women of the town celebrate. And what do they celebrate? They celebrate the worth of a woman. The worth of Ruth. That's a scandalous statement. She is worth more to you than seven sons. Seven providers. Wow. But that's not where the story ends. Remember, forward-looking or backward-looking. The story looks forward. The closing words of Ruth's story are not, and Obed was born. No, the closing words was, well, Obed becomes the father of Jesse, who becomes the father of David. And you look forward and say, where does this lead? Where does this go? Well, Matthew very determinately has telescoped everything so that it will lead to this idea of Jesus being the king, the Messiah. And what does Jesus do? Well, he pays the price. Why? Because number one, he is our blood relative. 
Number two, he has the resources. He is pure and without sin. And number three, he is willing to bear the cross to pay the price. And so for people who ponder for a moment to look backwards, they come to the foot of the cross and they say, joy to the world. Why? Because I am justified by grace through faith in my Lord Jesus Christ. All of my past sin and all of my future sin is washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. And then Jesus says to those of us who look forward and say, we will follow. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon you. And I will make you kingdom implementers in this world. I will bring you to the point where you can bring joy to people. By buying Christmas ornaments and then giving the money to World Renew that can bring hope and seed and food and shelter to places like Madagascar and South Sudan and hope and joy to people in Bangladesh who are treated as nobodies by the government of Myanmar. That's what you can do. You can live in the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit and you can become kingdom implementers and not only can you do that, you can gather children around a table like this and say, put your hands behind your back, although, you know, that's really too hard to resist. And you can explain to them that Jesus is not only the giver, but he is the gift. And children will look at you and say, huh? And you'll try again. And you'll keep trying until they get it. And one day, they will stand here and they will say, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand at the latter day upon this earth and the worms destroy this body. Even in my flesh will I see God. And then when they walk out of here, after you have congratulated them all, you can say to them, now, how will you use your gifts to look to the future? Because the giver is also the gift. And how will you present hope and joy to vulnerable people who are empty, but in Christ are now made full? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the story of a young woman so vulnerable and yet so bold to make a profession of faith and then to act out that faith, looking to the future, knowing that in the future you will keep your promises and your word. And we celebrate that because you are Emmanuel, God with us. You are the one who has set us free and we celebrate that freedom and live joyfully before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. 
You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.